Hello, 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 podcast listeners. Welcome back for another episode of Journey to Midwifery podcast. Today, I had the wonderful pleasure of interviewing a friend and colleague of mine, Catherine, who is a retired certified nurse midwife. She has a long, beautiful, very career as a midwife and is now enjoying her retirement. I hope that you'll listen and find some great insight from a midwife who's been around since the 80s and learn from her. So thanks for coming back again for another episode. Welcome to the Journey to Midwifery podcast. This podcast platform is for midwives to tell their story. This is where you get to hear the how and the why a person is called on this journey to midwifery. I'm your host, Amber Wilson, a midwife myself, and I came up with this idea so that all those people asking these questions had a place to go to find answers. I hope you enjoy these stories as much as I enjoy recording them. Okay, thank you, Catherine, for coming on to do this podcast with me. I've been trying to catch up with you for a long time. Um, and just if you don't remember exactly, but you probably do, I have known you since, uh, 2014, I think that was when, and every time I talk to you, I hear another snippet of your career. (laughs) This will be my first time hearing all of it in one piece, and I'm excited to hear it. Okay, great. Well, let me, um introduce myself. Um, My name's Catherine Jones, um, but most people um, would know me as Catherine Gussie. Um, That was the bulk of my name when I was in midwifery. So just kind of give you a little background. Um, I think when I was 18 years old, I can remember having this boyfriend, we go sit out and watch the sunset and fantasize what we're going to be when we grow up. And I always wanted to be a midwife, but I wasn't sure how I get there. Uh, So I ended up after high school going to an associate degree program, lasted a year, thought, "Mm, I think I need my bachelor's. So I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin in 1982. No. Yeah. Wow. And then was commissioned um, into the Air Force after that. Um, I grew up moving around, wanted to keep moving around. My father worked for an oil company. So that sounded pretty good to me. So I joined the Air Force and uh, was in the internship program, which was kind of an umbrella for new grads and went from one area to the next. And I ended up staying in Montgomery, Alabama at Maxwell Air Force Base, uh, working in ICU. But I I wanted to go to OB. So I did some ICU, went into OB and loved it. And uh, back then, you did a lot of deliveries, whether you wanted to or not, just because of the way it was set up. So that was my first taste of delivering babies. And I was hooked. Um, Got married, had a child, role confusion, thought I wanted to be a mom, stay home. We moved to Seattle, I worked in a birth center, I thought, what are we doing? So I came back into the military. um, Just for survivability, and um, was able to put my husband at the time through school that way. 
And when you come back into the military at Wolford Hall, San Antonio, you know, you're going to have penance. And my penance was working on a med surge unit for 18 months before I could get back into OB. And at the time, Wolford Hall was the epicenter of research. Dr. Gary Hankins, if anyone knows who that is, was the guru there. And they had a 8% C-section rate um, because of the use of forceps. And so it was active management, forceps. I saw things that most people will read about just because we didn't have the advancements in technology that we do now. Um, but still, I so wanted to be a midwife. I would read Ina Mae Gaskin's books in labor and delivery, and people would make fun of me, saying I'm a hippie granola nurse. And uh, I had a OB doc that was a resident at the time that was really sympathetic to my wanting to learn to be a midwife. And so she would let me do deliveries. She, at the time, women got episiotomies. So I learned how to repair those. Um, so I learned a lot from her and I'm forever grateful. Uh, myself and another labor and delivery nurse um, put in for the Air Force Midwifery Program, AFIT. And at that time, the program was associated with Georgetown University in Washington, DC. And they would select 10 people globally from the Air Force. And it was about a two year process to apply, but we all went to the same place. Um, Andrews Air Force Base is where we did our clinicals and deliveries. And we would do all of our didactic at Georgetown University. Um, I ended up becoming a single mom, moving two kids to Washington, D.C. to a grad school program. And this was summer of 89, 1989. And my computer training at the time there was MS-DOS. And then you would go to class and hit the library with my two little kids and their backpacks. And they would color while I would feed the Xerox machine copying articles so I could go home, study. I would go to bed after putting them to bed and get up at three in the morning and just crank out the study and get them to their little daycare. And I was living on a shoestring. So then I would bicycle to Georgetown University because I couldn't afford the parking, no matter what the weather. It was, it was too crummy to bike, I would walk. Um, but you do what you have to do and that's what builds character. Uh, during that time, I was so mortified that I might be deployed, and that's when we had the first invasion um, with uh, Iraq going into Kuwait. So I sidestepped that, was able to stay in school, and then my mom came and stayed with me to help me through the last part, which included um, in-house call and deliveries. I didn't know where I was going to be assigned to until almost the bitter end. And I ended up um, remarried at March Air Force Base, California, and working in a hospital that blew me away. I felt like I'd been blasted back in time. It's where women still labored in a like four tour room. And when you got ready to deliver, you were pushed to a delivery room, your legs thrown up in stirrups, and it was treated like an operative procedure. Baby and mom separated. I thought, ah, oh, I can't do this. 
So what do you do? You try to promote change. And so I pushed for, and over time got it to where we turned the delivery rooms, except for one, which became the C-section room into uh, labor and delivery rooms where partners could be there, et cetera. Um, just to back up a little bit, while I was in nursing school in Austin, Texas, because I had that one year of an ADM program behind me, I worked as a scrub tech in labor and delivery. So I had skills associated with that as well. And just to kind of orient you to what the OB world was like then, women would come in in labor and they would get the enema, the shave, isolated, and no partners allowed with them. And Dr. Lamaze was beginning his movement. And if you had that piece of paper, the Lamaze certificate, then the husband could come in. Um, I saw things that I'll probably never see again, but I learned a lot from them um, because there was no ultrasound. If you had a breech baby, you went down to radiology for clinical pelvimetry or pelvimetry via radiology to see if the baby would fit through the pelvis. So you saw a lot more breech deliveries, also undiagnosed placenta previa would show up as well as undiagnosed birth defects. Um, so it had its tragedies, undiagnosed twins weren't uncommon either. Um, so I got to see a lot with that, which helped me when I got into midwifery school, having had those experiences, um, going through nursing and sympathetic physicians, I felt like I really had a, a, a good clinical edge. Um, so while at March Air Force Base, um, being active duty, I told the chief of OB, you know, this is my third child and I'm low risk. I'm going to have a home birth. And he was an older gentleman and he could have made my life difficult, but he was very empathetic and sympathetic. And he said, okay, I became fast friends with him and his wife. And he said he'd have an ambulance on standby. Well, I didn't tell him when I went into labor, but I called him afterwards and said, come on, come on over and let's pop a bottle of champagne. She's here. And so that was a wonderful experience. And uh, I was hooked on women having the right to choose the birth they want, that it should be a viable option for all women. I drove myself in the next day, put myself on maternity leave, and just so enjoyed that whole experience of being able to move around, listen to the music I wanted to, getting in and out of the shower. There wasn't the blood pressure cuff on or the fetal monitor strapping you down. And I, like I said, I was hooked. Um, unfortunately, March Air Force Base is one of those hospitals slotted during uh, President Clinton's term to be shut down. So thus begins closures of hospitals and downsizing. So then I ended up in Cheyenne, Wyoming at Effie Warren. As a certified nurse midwife, I was the only midwife there. Uh, we had a midwife, a nurse practitioner, and two OB docs. So call isn't what it is today. Um, in those early days, it was, you know, three providers that did deliveries. And so you were every third night primary call. You saw clinic while you did call. We did 30 deliveries a month. And uh, there wasn't com compensatory time off. 
And when you were on call, you were basically had to be home so you could be by your landline telephone. The pager we did have, um, you would click on your belt. And if you had to go somewhere during the day, you would have that and it would emit this static sound. And when you heard that static sound, you would go find a payphone, feed the payphone, call into the emergency room to find out what it was you were needed for. That was being on call. So I did that and, you know, there's all kinds of stories associated with being in a small facility during snowstorms. Nobody can get in. The CRNA is in-house, but you just pray this woman in labor doesn't need a C-section or backup skills. Um, Learned a lot there. Again, another base that was slotted for closure. So after being there two years, I thought, gosh, you know, I can't keep moving my family around. So I decided to get out of the military and transferred to the Wyoming Air National Guard to work in their clinic on guard weekends and then took a position at the Fort Collins Women's Clinic in Fort Collins, Colorado, which was a busy practice. Now, this was my first job outside of the military, and I was not prepared for things being done for profit, you know, excessive ultrasounds, inductions, um, quick to do C-sections, and then the volume we were supposed to see as well as round on the physician's patients. And uh, I did not feel as independent as I had in the military. So I was frustrated. I stayed with that practice probably a couple of years and then went to an ACNM conference and met a midwife that was recruiting for um, a midwife at a FQHC health department position in Hendersonville, North Carolina. So sounded good, looked good, more money. I was excited, um, very family friendly and focused. so my husband and I moved there. Um, hindsight's always 2020. A lot of different personal things happened at that time. And the practice fell apart after moving there. And so then I found myself in survival mode, but not having the tools I needed to make good business or financial decisions in joining practice with another midwife, um, which ended up not working out. Lessons learned, but uh, you know, very painful in a lot of ways. And so the hospital I was employed with in Hendersonville said they would back me in building a midwifery service. Um, I was surprised at the number of women requesting home birth. So I was able to uh, build a home birth practice within my practice while having hospital privileges as well as backup from OB docs, family practice and pediatricians. And this was a small rural hospital, it was Seventh-day Adventist. And so here I go. So I had a wonderful CPM, Claudie, that joined my team. I had a massage therapist that did prenatal massages. And uh, I had this small little house that was rented in Hendersonville where I would also, create a home-like environment. So women would come for their prenatal visits, get a cup of tea, and I could teach my childbirth classes there. 
And I really inserted myself into the community any way I could think of to try to build the practice. So I would recruit women from uh, group discussions on menopause, uh, childbirth classes. Uh, women would form co-ops there after having babies and getting to know each other. So I felt like it was wonderful. The downside is I was the only certified nurse midwife. And to try to save money, you do everything from autoclaving your own instruments, penny pitching on the KY jelly. Um, it was exhausting. So for five years, I was 24 seven on a pager and building the practice, trying to find that balance of home birth and hospital birth. And uh, you, it was a lot of trial and error. I think one of my hardest months was 10 home births with hospital births. And then my backup OB doc, one of the expectations is that I would assist her with surgical procedures um, during the day on her OR days. And it was a lot. And then trying to manage kids. Um, when I had the practice in the small home, my children could walk to the practice from school. And uh, the business model changed when they wanted me to move my practice into a building that was going to be right across the street from the hospital and make it more integrative with the obstetrician. And so it changed the feel of the practice, but it didn't change the volume. And uh, I feel like I had a, a small window that was just so wonderful for home birth. I incorporated the American College of Nurse Midwives Home Birth Guidelines. Um, and I was able to manage care at home with the knowledge that if I needed to transfer to the hospital, I would be welcomed with open arms. The nurses would put aromatherapy on, let the woman grieve, sympathize with her loss of the ideal birth she was hoping for, but continue that same compassionate care in the hospital. Um, it was just wonderful. It was a perfect setup. When 9-11 happened, and on the morning of that, I was in clinic, and I had a woman come into the office, and she had a medallion of the Virgin Mary that Catholics often have or wear. And she looked at me, and she said, have you heard the news? And I said, no. And so I turned on the radio in my office and was listening and I came back to see her and she put that medallion in my hand and she says, I really want you to have this. I feel you're really going to need it. And that stuck with me and I still have that medallion. Um, probably within that six month period, I had joined the North Carolina Air National Guard um, through one of my patients who really wanted me to come on board because I'd been through flight school, but took the path of becoming a midwife versus a flight nurse. And so I found myself as a flight nurse in the Air National Guard. And with the progression of events, found myself recalled to active duty, um, having to give up my practice and going, wow, I did need that medallion. <laughs> um, but the full impact of that um, also seemed to, 
the crossroads was I can remember also simultaneously being so exhausted from home birth and clinic and hospital, just sitting there and crying over my charts that were piling up, thinking I am so tired and I'm so afraid I'm going to hurt someone and I hardly know who my family is anymore. Um, so I found myself deployed and I worked at a mission hospital in ICU in Asheville in between deployments to maintain the, the skill set that I needed for taking care of um, medevac patients. I won't go into the whole deployment scene. That's another story. We're going to stick to midwifery. Um, family life had fallen apart. I had a brother in Indianapolis that said, hey, you know, my wife and I, you know, I want you to move the kids here. I was going through another divorce and said, okay, so it's amazing what you can do when you're determined. I packed the family up, moved them to Indianapolis. And it's the first time in my life I moved without a job. I just had to have some faith here. Long story short, I ended up in a management position um, with an organization called HealthNet, which um, was an FQHC site managing six clinics, OB triage, labor and delivery, and 22 mid-level practitioners with the expectation of 80% clinical. Wow. <laughs> uh, and they were going through um, some paradigm shifts as well. Uh, so again, you know, very busy, very, very busy. And, uh, I did that, um, met my current husband through my daughter and his daughter that again, that's another story. If you've seen the movie parent trap, that's kind of what it was like. Um, but we've been together 15 years and he's seen me through the rest of the career. He was wanting to move back to Virginia. And I had a fondness for the East Coast. So once the last one was out of high school, an opportunity at Langley Air Force Base opened up as a contractor. Um, it looked perfect, a clinic job Monday through Friday. However, that's not what it ended up being. And that's okay. Um, so I was at Langley for 10 plus years in a variety of positions as a contract midwife, ended up as GS. And then... Um, retired in summer of 2019. So there's a lot packed in there. And now that I've been retired a little over a year, I look back on those times and I would have to say that as demanding as it was, I felt like my private practice with home birth and hospital worth was truly the epitome of midwifery care and mother baby care and just um, how well you got to know these women and what a privilege it was to take care of them and be part of their family. And then the home birth stories that come out of that experience are phenomenal, life-changing actually. On the flip side of that, um, I can also look back and see how important self-care is. And being okay with saying, hey, this is more than I can handle and demanding. I should have demanded help. You know, let me hire another midwife. But it was such a profit-oriented setup that if 
it was like, well, you can hire another midwife if you can generate more income, which was hard to do. I was living on a shoestring. And so I, I couldn't quite, fit. again, lack of knowledge and skills. And there's so much out there. But I really encourage uh, self-care and asking for help. And when bad things happen, having the ability to sit down with peers and talk about it without fear of judgment. I think that's real important because not all births are perfect. We all know that. Amber, any? Uh, that was like perfect. I was gonna say, what <laughs> did you have advice and you already gave it, so. Yeah, I, I mean, it's so important to have that family work-life balance, um, you know, and, and the, when you're gone that much or deployed that much, you really do miss out on that connectivity with your children, your partner, and it suffers, but there's no room for really exploring that when you're in the throes of trying to be a good midwife to the women that choose you to come receive care. You have to be present for them. And so it's really easy to lose sight of who you are at times. Um, so I really appreciated that when I did come to Langley, it was the first time in my life I had a 40 hour work week. I was like, wow, I didn't, I thought this is great. I wish I'd had this all along. Um, but it's now that I have a regular schedule, which I don't, which is great. You can dig into things and explore um, who you are and new avenues. Reading, oh, to have time to read again has just been fantastic. I love it. And to reach out and build meaningful relationships with other women in your community. Uh, once COVID's gone, I can't wait to get back out there and see what's next. What made you kind of hit that final straw that said, okay, I'm ready to retire? I think it was um, oh, a couple of things. There comes a time, believe it or not, when I felt like my age was becoming it was getting in the way in some ways. Um, the ability to connect, I felt like sometimes the patients looked at me as old fashioned or how could you understand what I'm going through? Um, you're more like my mother than my midwife. Um, and sometimes when you've been in something long enough, you see where it comes full circle and you're going, okay, here we go again. And the comments you might have based on your experience aren't relevant because it's not relevant to the experience of what's happening now. And so I had to give space to that. Um, and then also it was, um, you're just ready for the different phase in your life. You see things differently. And so that was probably it, plus the uncertainty of what was happening with the hospital, mm. whether we're opening, closing, um, I was living on the sailboat when I was having to be there most of the time. And as romantic as it sounds, uh, living off and on a sailboat for eight years, that's how long it was, had its own challenges. Um, and I can remember one time standing on the dock 
not being able to get on the sailboat because of the winds. And it kept pushing the boat away. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to wait till this dies down a little bit. So you sit in your truck in awful weather, waiting for the winds to die down so you can get on the boat. And uh, so, you know, you climb on the boat. And one morning, I can remember the base is shut down for snow. And I thought, well, I'm not going anywhere. And I felt like a gopher peeking my head out. And there's snow all over in the marina and on the sailboat. And I had prepared for it. And I had all the comforts of home, thanks to my husband. Um, so, you know, I had all the comforts of home. But you know, I thought, well, I'm, I'm pretty isolated out here. Uh, and I had the security police on speed dial for any time I got nervous about something or saw an activity that was questionable. Uh, but yeah, I was getting tired of living on the sailboat and having had a fall and recover from a fractured shoulder made me even more aware of, hey, you're getting older. <laughs> so anyhow, that was a fun chapter, but it's done. Do you feel like you've been able to have a lot of like, it sounds like it from, obviously I knew I worked with you when you retired, but you sound like you've had a lot of self-reflection on how you felt about it over all this, all those years mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. what you would do differently. Do you feel like you've really taken time to do that? Yeah, but it's still a work in progress. That's oh, the yeah, beautiful sure. thing about life and living is it doesn't end. It doesn't mm -hmm. stop. It's just a different phase. And what I love now is having the time to sit down and actively listen. When you have a hundred things on your mind, like six women in labor, all the charts that aren't done, the audits that need to be done, family concerns and demands, it's rather schizophrenic at times. And you don't realize it until you step away from it that mm, I could have given that individual a little more eye contact and focus instead of averting my eyes or the quick, yes, uh-huh, okay, yeah, yeah signaling that I'm listening, but I got to be somewhere else. Um, so it's real important to be present and in the moment. Everyone deserves that. Yeah. It, it's hard to do that when you have I know. kids and work and sure all the is. other things. And yeah, I'm feeling that right now. Um, I do have a question. How do mm -hmm. your kids reflect back on things? <laughs> Good question. Um, and it depends on which one you talk to. Okay. <laughs> okay. So it depends on which one you talk to. Um, they're all very proud of what I did, but they did miss me. Mm -hmm. And I have a daughter who's married with two beautiful children, my grandchildren. And I love that our relationship has matured to the point where we can openly talk about it. And maybe it's because she's a mom now that she, she understands it. And just this morning I was talking with her and said, you know, Meg, I'm really sorry that I had to rush around so much and that I would almost seem impatient trying to make things happen at home before the pager went off or I had to leave or I can still remember my youngest daughter, uh, Devin, hanging on to my knee. Don't go, don't go, don't go, you know, and just, you know, those kind of things that always stick with you, you know, that guilt that comes with not being able to be present more. 
and and that that was it being present on a consistent basis so yeah you grieve that and you missed it but they're okay you know uh, did any of them go into the medical field nope <laughs> no then but they're all good people with big hearts and doing great things yeah uh, so much of what you say just resonates like i can feel where you were <laughs> It's so hard. I imagine other people listening feel the same way that pull 50,000 different directions and sure. But you know, you can say in hindsight, well, this is what you should do. But like, how do you really, really, I think we really have to say stop and take time and find, try your best to find careers that give you a better balance. life balance and being able to say no. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to say no. Um, if somebody needs, uh, you just have to, and that's a, that was a hard thing to learn sometimes was, you know, saying no isn't negative necessarily. It's setting a boundary for yourself so you can be a healthier you. And that's okay to not do a lecture or step off of a committee or it, it was just nuts at times. Yeah. And yeah. if you had had even, I know you loved that home birth practice, mm -hmm. but if you had had just one other midwife, what a difference. Would have been huge. Would yeah. have been huge just to know. Well, for example, when I attended my sister's birth in Austin, Texas, it meant turning my whole practice over to my backup doc, which was, you know, not, it was a disservice to my patients, but I wanted to be there for my sister who was planning a home birth on her houseboat in Austin which is a great story. Um, but coming back and, you know, who ended up with a C-section or someone that was upset because you weren't there, even though you tried to prepare them. So you, you, it seemed impossible to please everybody all the time, but you work hard at it. Yeah. You work hard at it. Yeah. What would you say to some young person that wanted to go into midwifery today after everything you've seen? I think women today are better at asking for what they want. I think they do. And remember, I was at a time where, you know, midwives, it was a fierce competition out there with OBs. You always felt like you were fighting or on guard or having to defend your practice and what you did. I think it's more acceptable now. You're finding uh, midwives are in greater numbers inside our teaching facilities, home births, birth centers, et cetera. I would say for a young midwife, find that work balance, but also know how to take care of yourself. Self-care is so important and, and take time to reflect. And uh, in partnership, you know, it's got to be a real supportive partnership. Um, and I don't think any partnership can survive a 24-7 obligation or military career back then. It's tough. And it, it asks a lot of the spouse. And so it, you kind of have to figure that out. Yeah. Try to figure that out. Um, but I think taking care of women and a service to women is very valuable. And midwives bring a lot to the table. Yeah. So I do have another question, just sure. not necessarily directed at your career, but in your experience. So um, I had a brief stint, you know, working home birth. And I remember the midwife that I worked with had been doing it for 
20 something years and she said midwifery has changed probably not everywhere but at least there as the practice had grown and she'd hired more midwives um midwifery had changed to not as much um like labor care as before midwives were more a little bit more like I'll be involved when you hit active labor because of, you know, we have now this charting and this things that maybe they weren't in existence 20, 30 years ago and right. more reliance on doula support. So people coming into home birth sometimes didn't like that. They expected that midwife to be there from mm -hmm. like that first contraction until, you know, however many hours postpartum, but coming from midwife perspective, it was like, but I can give you more attentive care when I am able to uh, have a doula come in and give you some of that early labor support. And then there's the fact that I also have other mothers and things like that. So in your time, my question mm -hmm. is, do you think that's true? And what are your thoughts on how, like, sh do you think it was better before when midwives were there that full from first contraction and, and then on? Or do you think that the practice model now is better for really everybody, but especially midwives? I think um, you have to set the expectation in the beginning. And it was myself and a CPM. And then um, I had a very close, you know, then I would have, um, believe it or not, uh, the manager from the OB unit at the time would come to a periodic home birth if I couldn't get another assistant to come with me. And then I had a, another uh, nurse that wanted to be a midwife. But in setting the expectation, um, I also taught these women childbirth classes. And so they were introduced. A lot of times I would be there um, and I spent a lot of hours sleeping in a car or going back home, especially for latent phase. And then I would call the CPM or nurse when I knew we were approaching active labor and I would need another set of hands. Is it better? Like I said, you got to set the expectation. For me, you know, it was very time consuming and labor intensive and exhausting at times. Uh, but uh, it's what it was. Right. And had you had doula support? Do you, I mean, could you would say I have that used that would have it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it would have been awesome. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful had I had doula support. Yeah. Yeah. Doulas were just kind of an idea starting to spark back when I was doing home births. I don't know if you know of Pam England's um, book, Birthing from Within, if you're familiar with that wonderful book. When that book came out, I thought, oh, somebody finally gets it. And I had the pleasure and honor of being able to get her to come to Hendersonville, North Carolina and teach phase two of her certificate program. And she was the first one that was touching on birth and trauma. And you kind of, when you work with women one-on-one -on -one for as intensely and as long as you do, you notice things that haven't been named yet. And so birth trauma, trauma related to sexual abuse, et cetera, would surface in different ways with women, but we didn't have the tools that we have today on how to deal with it and identify it and help women work through it. 
Um, so I learned from her a lot of good techniques that I incorporated into my childbirth um, practice and labor classes, childbirth classes. But yes, doulas, uh, I love doulas. I think doulas are wonderful. They complement what we do and allow you to be sometimes the fresh set of eyes and focus coming into a situation and everybody's tired. Mm-hmm. And as you know, fatigue, long labors sometimes can distort the picture a little bit. Yeah. So it's always good to have a fresh set of eyes and well-rested hands show up. Yeah. I, th- I think definitely just from many interviews, it is transitioning to that and, and midwives mm-hmm. are saying like it's solo practices, very difficult. And, mm-hmm. or if they're solo, they're keeping their volume very low, like two yeah, a month. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's some out there that do more, but just in the ones I've spoken to. So it seems more realistic doing it. That yeah. Way. I kept, you know, some records from all of that five-year period that I uncovered in the attic the other day. And I thought, you know, ought to create the name of my practice. It was Rosewood Women's Health and see if I can't locate some of these women um, to give them an opportunity to capture their birth stories and maybe put a book together. Yeah. So it would be just prior to 9-11 and uh, yeah, I don't know what I call it, midwife in flight, who knows? (laughs) Oh, I like that. Uh, But I think it would be uh, a good, because it was, I felt like I had that perfect window of time where I could do home birth without ACOG jumping all over the place. And uh, it was supported. And with following ACOG guidelines, believe it or not, I was doing um, VBACs at home. Mm-hmm. based on the history. And when ACOG came out with that statement of all, you know, all people with previous C-sections should deliver in a hospital that can perform C-sections, I thought, oh my God, what am I going to do with some of these women? But, you know, I also felt committed to support the decision. How do you tell someone at term, you have to come to the hospital now? And I had a woman who said, I'm not doing it. I said, okay. She said, I'll just birth at home by myself. I said, please don't do that. Mm-hmm. So it's a great story. Ended up well. Um, but I did develop a nice case of hives <laughs> and <laughs> uh, didn't sleep well, um, thinking, oh my gosh, dear God, you know, you, you trust it to a higher being sometimes. And it was a beautiful water birth and it was a perfect birth. It was the birth she wanted. Yeah. So. But you're right. Yeah. What are you going to say? And that happens today. What are you going to say to somebody who says, no, you don't want to just not support them. You can't abandon them. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I always was marveled at how well the midwifery model of care seems to work in other countries and really hope that we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's good to hear that from somebody with your experience. Yeah. So it's been, it was a wonderful career. I wouldn't trade it for anything. How lucky am I to do what I love for most of my life? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm also just as lucky to be able to sit back and go, you know, it could have been done better. You know, let's make it better. Yeah. And now enjoy this time of your life. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about your glasswork that you do. 
Oh, <laughs> it's beautiful. Very, oh, thank you. I'm such a, I feel like I'm, you know, you're an artist is always their own worst critic. Yes. Uh, but my mother um, had a stained glass studio in Galveston Island where she did custom work for people. And she taught me the craft of stained glass. She had her glass studio in Arkansas and she said, I want you to have this. She said, I can't do it anymore. So my husband, um, we, it was, if you can imagine moving glass, it's so heavy, but we relocated the glass studio here to Matthews, Virginia. And then I took up the craft and started doing what I call birth art. It's a silhouette of a pregnant woman with a variety of colors and circles and it can be in a stand or hang. So, you know, I kind of found a little niche doing that. Um, but it takes a lot of time. And I, I like having the time to do that. And so I've also started playing with uh, fused glass, but that seems to have more disasters than successes. <laughs> so I'm still learning that craft. But I enjoy it. I do love enjoy uh, enjoy doing stained glass work of a variety. And I say, would have to say I give more away or sell it than I do keep from myself. Yeah, I'll put a picture up on Instagram. Oh, thanks. so people thanks. can see your beautiful yeah. work. And I'm lucky enough to have one. So Oh, and if you want to put my yes. email address in, in there, that's the best yeah. way to reach me. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. I mean, you might, Thank you. Thank hopefully you. they don't overload you with requests but <laughs> well that's the beautiful thing is I can say no you can't say no <laughs> you know or be picky about it you know yeah. you always have this like big oh did it make it there in one piece when I have to ship it yeah uh so that's a little nerve-wracking but I might get to where I you know people request it and then I just make them responsible for the stand because that's the challenging part is how to ship both at once mm -hmm. yeah or the hanging I liked the hanging one you gave mm -hmm. me yeah mm -hmm. that was yeah. nice well, thank you for sharing your story. Anything else you want to add or I didn't ask? No, just thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. Um, for those of you that are midwives and facing some of these issues, feel free to reach out um, and hug your partners. They really do a lot from us, you know, and, and your babies. calls and the demands and your babies and your grandbabies. Um, because they deserve just as much of you as the women you've served have. So keep that life balance going and take good care. That's perfect advice. And I can say from experience, you are an excellent mentor. So. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, so, Amber. Thank and good you. luck to you and love you and miss you. I love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. this episode with Catherine. She is just a lovely, lovely person and I always enjoy chatting with her. I'm going to share some of her glasswork on Instagram. You can find me at Journey to Midwifery Podcast on Instagram. You can follow Catherine at C Jones CNM. I have linked that in the show notes. And if you like this episode or any of the episodes, feel free to give it a rating, a five-star rating on it 
on iTunes. And remember, you can also email me at journey to midwiferypodcast at gmail.com. I'm always looking for volunteers. I'm always looking for suggestions of people who you want to come on the podcast. I reach out to every single person that you all have suggested to me. Um, Some don't respond and that's okay. They probably have life things going on. But I just want you all to know that I do reach out to everyone that you suggest that you'd like to have on the podcast. So keep them coming. Until next time.